This is Resist and Renew. The UK-based podcast about social movements. What we're fighting for, why, and how it all happens. The hosts of the show are... Me, Kat. Uh, me, Sammy. And me, Ali. I'm recording this now, baby. Shit, it's a podcast! <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome to the R&R Resist and Renew podcast. Um, today we're really excited to have Rabab Hazul talking to us from Gentle Radical. Um, welcome, Rabab. Um, hi, thank you. Hi. Um, so just to give you a little bit of an introduction before we dive into the questions. Um, Rabab Hazul is a socially engaged visual artist, activist and founder director of Cardiff-based organisation Gentle Radical. Centering social justice, healing justice, decolonial practice and non-extractivist engagement, Gentle Radical work to curate, collaborate and build projects that seek to make the marginal our mainstream. Born in Mosul, Iraq, living permanently in the UK from the age of 10 and in Wales for the last 27 years, Rabab is deeply engaged in ideas of place, coloniality, connectivity and the diasporic experience. So glad to have you here, Rabab, that's great. Um, So yeah, the first question, can you tell us a little bit about the context that you're organising in and why you choose to do the work that you're doing? Yeah, I can. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be with you both. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose we are organising Gentle Radical is based in Cardiff and I've been in Cardiff since 1993. I came to Wales as a student actually um, and I stayed and I think that happens for a lot of people. They come here and then they, they sort of end up, a lot of people end up in Cardiff. Um, so on a personal level, just I suppose before I talk about maybe how we're organizing why we're organizing here and why why I choose to continue being here um I think I almost came here by default so I was in Aberystwyth as a student as an undergrad and then moved to Cardiff to work in the arts or to start trying to work in the arts um and I ended up sort of staying uh, like a lot of people um but I think at a certain point I had a real um, realization or a kind of recognition in myself that I was consciously making a choice to stay in Wales. And I realized that was because there was a certain consciousness around the colonial that I felt was um, deeper, more alive. Of course it would be as because of Wales's own history and experience of colonialism for the last, well, it's, it's, it's England's first colony. Um, so I felt that as someone who is, is someone who's living out of a diasporic experience, as someone who, um, whose homeland is not easy to get back to, who in many ways uh, I've not been, apart from a moment in, um, in 2016, um, I hadn't been back to Iraq since I was 10. So there's so much bound up in those, um, those dislocations, those disconnections, that the, the sense of um, the, se- the losses that you're constantly sort of navigating and negotiating. Um, and, the, and I suppose the, the, the new places, the new spaces, the new... He, the, the person you become, the person you have become, the person you've been evolving into is, um, I felt somehow that 
alongside my interest in the work and the interest in the complex, nuanced landscapes of coloniality, Wales felt like I could speak to those things in, an, in, a, in, a, in a way that um, there was, how can I describe it? Like there was kinship around that. Uh, there was a, a, a more immediate, does that make sense? A kind of kinship mm. around that, of course, from a different context and a different perspective than mm. I felt that there was in England. And these are huge generalizations to make as if like, you know, like <laughs> it, England is a phenomenally diverse place, you know, um, and many of its cities, some of the most diverse in the world. So like, but, but somehow this sense of being to the side, being, um, being at a tangent to the center, Mm. And I think probably that is a very live experience for me as someone who is never quite knows you, you, you don't, you know, um, it's hard to talk about myself as being Iraqi because I've not been there for so long. And actually Iraq has changed. Like the Iraq I grew up in mm -hmm. was not the Iraq that even remotely exists any longer. Not just because like many of the places in our childhood have changed and don't exist, but as we know, the history of Iraq, the, the catastrophic history of the last mm. 30 years or so. Mm. Um, so that sense of like, how do you own being of a place when that place wouldn't recognize you any longer? When to go back to that place, you go back as a tourist, like we know that. So I think, and at the same time, not being British, whilst knowing I sound British, I'm a product of British culture, not being Welsh. So I think being in this in-between space felt like there was space to explore that more here in Wales, um, because I think Wales is also in between and Wales' own relationship to coloniality is highly complex. Of course, it's been colonized, but it is also a beneficiary and a recipient of the wider European colonial project, you know, so it's, it's a white, it's a small, but still white majority nation um, that is a small nation in Europe. And there is, um, there are huge um, uh, responsibilities, radical responsibilities around um, Wales's uh, experience um, uh, in a way on the coattails of empire, you know, so, so I feel like this felt like a rich place um, to be and a complex place to be. And I think complexity, I, I like complexity a lot. I, I feel happy in amongst contradiction and complexity. And then as far as Gentle Radical was concerned, I, I think um, I, I, it, it, it came out of the fact that um, there wasn't any need to move. There wasn't any need to leave. This is where I live. It's where I've made my home. Um, and I suppose there, what, what Gentle Radical is interested in doing is, is really working in a hyper-local way. Um, so hyper-locality and this idea of... Um, what does it mean to remain in one place? And what does it mean to remain in one place for a very, very, very long time? Um, a little bit like Adrienne Marie Brown in Emergent Strategy, she talks about like um, building, instead of mile wide, inch deep movements, how do we build like inch wide, mile deep? Um, mm. So I'd been in Cardiff, I don't know, I sort of set up Gentle Radical in 2016. So I've been in Cardiff maybe Anyway, over 20 years, maybe 25 years, 23 years. So I felt like 
I felt like that was the right moment to set up an organization. <laughs> I felt like I needed to live that much. I needed to know this place that much. I needed to make mistakes enough. And of course, I don't stop making mistakes, but I needed to really be ready to, um, once this work begins, uh, it needs to keep going deeper. Um, so I felt I had a deep commitment to place. And in a very specific sense, uh, we're based in Riverside. It's an area I've lived in for 23 years myself. It's very, it's a very diverse part of the city. It's not an affluent part of the city. There's a lot of different, um, huge richness and huge need. Um, so the idea of what does it mean to construct projects and to organize and to use culture and cultural praxis not for two years or five years or 10 years, but like until I'm dead and beyond, and then who's gonna come after and then after them. So um, how do we really pull elastically our sense of um, the work that we want to do with, with people and community? The other, sorry, the other thing to say, I suppose about Cardiff and Wales is, particularly in Cardiff, I think we are in very um, close proximity to seats of power because we're tiny, because we're 2 million people. So you can, you can go and speak to the first minister. I mean, it's possible. You can absolutely have conversations with people who are at the assembly or at Welsh government. And I think that gives Wales a very different kind of relationship to its um, political structures. In other words, they're not as hierarchical. There's less density and bureaucracy to get through. Of course, it's there, but not anything like to the extent of it is in England. Um, and I think that creates uh, sort of um, possibilities. It creates possibilities of disruption, um, greater fluidity, greater dialogue. So, for example, some of the really, I, th I think they're groundbreaking. I think there's, there's, there's definitely space for these uh, bits of legislation or policy to be more groundbreaking but if I think of the future generations commission and um, uh, legislation around future generations um, those kinds of developments uh, within the political arena are really um, for me mean that in Wales um, there's a there's the p possibility for quite radical thinking and the possibility for that to impact um, in quite deep ways because because of the scale because of our scale is, is small enough um, to not be hindered by um, much more cumbersome historical dead weight. So I kind of personally, um, people laugh when I say this, but I really feel like um, excited to say, I feel like the small nations will be the global leaders of the future, basically. So it feels exciting to be in places like Wales. Mm. I, think, I think that's really interesting. I think the, a question that comes up for me, which uh, is... Uh, as somebody who is not as familiar as uh, with yourself or with general radical as an organisation, you use this term cultural praxis, um, which I've seen before. But I'll be honest, I'm not really sure I know what it means. And I've I've seen that been used also uh, linked to gentle radical and the work that it does. So could you maybe talk a little bit about like gentle radical, the organisation that you um, organise within, what the group is about, and specifically touch on that idea of like cultural praxis and what that means for you. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I know what it means. My, my understanding of praxis, but this is a great moment to go and do more thinking about it, is um, mm. it's the theory and the application, you know, that what does it mean for us to theorize and what does it mean for us to apply and put into practice? Um, 
And I think I feel very strongly about that, um, that we need to live our theory. We need to do more than theorize. We need to test and put into practice these um, deeply held principles and aspirations. And I think so much of the, so many of the systems and the structure, the structures and the institutional spaces we all live and exist in and work in are really brilliant at the theorizing and are brilliant at the posturing and are brilliant at the, the construction of the articulations around change. Um, and it's really easy to not do the practice because the practice is hard. Um, it's painful. It brings us into contact with um, our deep responsibility, our imperfection, our, our culpability, our guilt, a whole bunch of other things, our trauma, you know, our, our rage and anger. I, I'm including all of us in this, you know, so like to practice is um, to, to, to live the theory. And I, I don't, um, I think in every single walk of life, including, um, you know, the, the realm of the religious and the spiritual, like it, 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 there is only practice. There is only practice. Like I think our, um, the reason I think most people, um, this kind of adage that I, I really frustrates me a lot, religion is the cause of all wars. And of course it's way more, way more complex and far less simplistic than that. But I think people are actually what people I think are saying is we are desperately disappointed in the fact that um, profound teachings about compassion and equity and justice have been so corrupted by institutions, mm -hmm. whereby those institutions cease to embody the practice of ideas of justice ideas of um deep radical compassion you know and solidarity and togetherness and equity and so i think cultural praxis in that sense for me has to um embody uh, first of all our, our principles that we we must do more than just talk about stuff and make it look good and sound good because you can do that really well i mean we can all do that on our websites you know People can go onto our website and read a bunch of things. And, and I have to ask myself, what is it that we are manifesting in those um, words, in those intentions? Um, and that is a time-based project. It's a conversational project. It's a project. Um, it's a spiritual project. Um, it's a learning project. It's a constant, um, constant attempt to bring yourself into the space of your coherence. Um, this is what I believe in and this is then how I'm acting and behaving. So we're constantly moving towards a sense of integration and coherence and, um, and, and also then recognizing um, when we're not managing to do that, that is also, um, that's okay. Um, we have to understand why we're not managing to do that and unpack that and also kind of continue to honor ourselves whilst we're um, trying to go deeper on that journey. I've probably not talked enough about the, the cultural bit, but I think that's my understanding <laughs> of praxis, <laughs> I, I think. No, I think that was great. Thank you very much for sharing. Yeah, it's, I love hearing you talk about these things. It makes me want to live in that world where we're working in this way. It feels, yeah, really deeply connected to something very exciting, but also like powerful in some ways. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
and I'm yeah I think we all yearn for it don't we and, and I'm we, we come in and out of it I feel like it's it's a yeah we're trying to get I feel I'm, I'm closer to it now I feel like it's come through a lot of um trying to be in that world has, has taken me learning like really recognizing when I'm not in it and when it's not working to understand oh I've got to fight for this more deeply yeah 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 definitely I guess sort of this maybe follows on a little, but I'm I'm wondering what the this is at the moment. So kind of what the um what the focus is of gentle radical in these times where where we are right now. What you're what you're focusing your your work on? Mm. Well, I suppose I mean the one thing to say in terms of um you know what what gentle radical's primary identity is is of course we're interested in um, social transformation and change and how we dismantle toxic systems of um, power and institutional spaces, but we do that through art and culture. And like, that's our primary point of departure, basically. We see art and culture as a portal or a force or um, a space of dialogue or the, the ground um, from which we can explore structural change, basically. Um, and then additionally to that, um, we're interested in, I suppose, um, our point of entry into art and culture is within the social practice realm. So we talk about socially engaged um, frameworks. Um, in other words, that the primary medium for us is, is people, um, is, it's a, always a strange word to use, communities, because we have a problem, I suppose there, there are problematic ways in which we have come to identify who communities are, they're somehow always over there, we're somehow always doing stuff to them. Um, that's also part of Gentle Radical's interest is, is how do we unpack and dismantle that sense of um, uh, interest in making work accessible, interest in democratizing cultural practice, um, and therefore how does that relate to ideas of um, where and who community is? Um, who has access to um, inverted commas mainstream culture? Why is mainstream culture like legitimately mainstream culture? How do we displace from what I would call the cultural epicenters? So um, Gentle Radical maybe uh, by way of example, you know, used to, uh, this is maybe before Gentle Radical and maybe was one of the reasons which prompted me over the years to set up an organization. So I might've been running cultural projects as an artist, as a freelancer within some of these cultural spaces. And there was always so much extractivism. There was almost so much to tokenizing of some of the, you know, all of this very violent language, marginalized and excluded communities one would bring into these spaces. Cause um, my own work uh, as a practitioner is not just within um, cultural practice, but within long-standing community development, and particularly in South Wales, particularly in Cardiff, working with minority ethnic communities in the city. So I would observe over the years, like how tokenized some of those groups were when they entered into mainstream, you know, um, contemporary art spaces, for example, how, like, um, how disrespected they were in the sense that, um, how little they were viewed as um, potentially long-term audiences or core long-term participants of those institutions. But those institutions always loved to kind of include them in their reports or sometimes completely appropriate everything we, we were doing and like invisibilize us entirely and talk about, you know, this work being their own. I mean, there's all kind, you know, I think so many of us have experiences of that, of the, 
of, of how institutional spaces um, uh, colonize work and, 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 and what happens when, um, therefore how, how, how people are being used as a means. So I, I really feel like if I talked about like what the core practice of gentle radical is, is we are interested in, in how, how do we un, how do we not reverse, but how do we provide an alternative to um, the colonial project? And within huge amounts, within huge swathes of, um, I would say the cultural sector, um, people are being used as a means. They're being used as a means because they come from, inverted commas, deprived, you know, an area of deprivation which has to be fixed. Of course, it's impossible to fix it because we have to change entire systems and structures to do that and no one is fundamentally interested in that. So we do this very surface work, you know, we work with disaffected youth or we work with minorities or marginalized groups. All of this is, um, you know, these are all forms of violence uh, as far as we're concerned in terms of, who gets to decide even what what disadvantages like there is clear lack there's clear inequality and that has to be addressed but how we so often end up particularly within the cultural sector using communities um using groups of people in order to further some of the core agendas that we have um, i suppose the classic experience I had for many years as an artist was being parachuted into communities and then sort of parachuted out. Mm. Um, and actually, because in our, in our, it, with Gentle Radical, we, 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 funnily enough, actually reading Emergent Strategy at the moment. Um, and I, when I went back to the book, I realized that the very thing that I call, I sort of this, you know, this very common phrase of parachuting in and out to a community and sort of that very extractive process, she literally talks uh, of as penetrative, like, and I think that's a really powerful word to use. It's penetrative. You know, it's a violence that we commit when we go into communities and use them in that way. So I suppose we are really interested in how we, how do we do that differently? And that means it has to be a time-based project. So mm. access is non-negotiable. We're not interested in creating accessible projects as a little add-on because it's nice, because it reaches certain people. It should be the ground of how everyone works. It's non-negotiable. And it, for access to work, it has to be time-based. Um, we can't just, I don't think it, it, I think it's a contradiction to say we're going to give access to certain communities to access our work for six months or a year. Um, that's not to say that sometimes certain projects don't have their natural ending. Um, but when so much of work in the cultural sector is um, operating on the terms of often organizations, institutions, and their needs, and when they're done, they move, they move along. Um, I, think, uh, I think our work at Gentle Radical is really interested in very deeply embedded non-extractivist processes that are long-term and that reveal to us what, um, what, our, what our curation might be with others, what, what the collaboration might be with others. Mm. I think there's a really interesting parallel in what you're saying there around like parachuted in work, penetrative, those like analogies in terms of how we often work as facilitators as well. Um, in terms of, mm -hmm. it's one of the things that we've been talking about within Resist and Renew a lot more recently is around how we can shift to a more 
uh, long-term relationship-based thing and get away from soul and there's like there's always going to be value in reactive work as a facilitator because there are some crises which will just need short-term support and that's fine but that's definitely not the only thing that's needed but it is generally the only thing that's asked for and so how we can build some of those relationships to try and move out of that pattern and a thing that is a challenge for us nowadays surprise surprise is era of physical distancing and how much we're therefore relying on partly pre-existing relationships that we had and I'm um, so I'm wondering if that's uh, if you could talk a little bit to that idea of um, because you are very uh, when you're talking about this like artistic practice around this kind of like community building work that that's all it's all very place-based as a thing mm -hmm. and so given that we're then shifting into an era of like physical distancing mm -hmm. I'm really interested in how you can live those values of making things um, like more long-term um time-based i think was the language you used and whilst also uh maintaining some of that like kind of safety i guess around like physical distancing etc like how are you living your values at this time yeah oh my gosh such a how are we living our values it's a, a yeah we are asking ourselves that all the time <laughs> so i really recognize the um I really recognize the same parallels with facilitation, you know, because actually, especially, you know, there can be really amazing experiences we have about holding spaces and then it's gone and, and the depth of what we might experience in that space temporarily. And then, you, yeah, so there's a constant question about what is this relationship between a thing that happened and had its value and is it devalued by not being longer? And, and I think there's some mm. discernment there, like, because there's a moment of like, we can discern when something actually, you know, is contained and it's okay. And then we can also know when no more is needed. And so the first thing I wanted to say is like, um, like there's aspiration for us, as I think there is for everyone. And there's literally the resources that enable us to do, to do the longer term stuff. And I would say we have come in and out of being able to speak to that longer term work, you know? So one of the projects I've been running which now comes under the umbrella of Gentle Radical, but I think I started it in 2004, is um, today it's called the Gentle Radical Film Club, but it always began as a film club specifically trying to create safe spaces for, um, for women from diverse backgrounds who were not rocking up to, I don't know, um, you know, Chapter Art Centre, the main contemporary art space in Cardiff, you know, on a Friday evening to watch a documentary about, I don't know, whatever. Why is that? Why, why are people not accessing those spaces? Why is it not affordable? Why is there not a whole range of other things that make people feel that is a space for them? So like that project is now in its 16th year, but like wow. it's, it, 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 it has taken um, huge amounts of like volunteered labor over the years, um, mm. other people's volunteered labor. Sometimes it's like met our own burnout and in health and ill health. Sometimes we've just, there was a moment I had to just put it on the, back burner for a year and a half so we're aspiring to be able to do long-term work you know we're aspiring to do that and i think resource is a huge you know kind of um i'm stating the obvious but it's it's a kind of huge issue if resource wasn't an issue um i think all of these um these long-term relationships would be so much more straightforward you know because if if our desire is there then i think we can find the ways and that brings me to, I suppose, what is the, des if the desire is there, what are the ways now at the moment in um, mm. this current climate? And so I suppose one of the things 
we're starting to do maybe i can tell you a little bit about one of the projects we're just about to begin and yes please do um the, the film club is really interesting because we so um community outreach has been a huge part of what we've done and what what i've done over the years and now that's very much part of gentle radicals work um so we sure we can bring a whole lot of people into our screenings into our sort of pop-up community screenings via twitter and um, you know, Facebook and Instagram and all the usual. We, what we don't do is reach a whole swathe of people who some of them may not be necessarily accessing us via those platforms. So going to a, um, I don't know, uh, BAM, BAME women's health event or turning up to a Somali and Sudanese women's coffee morning or going to some ESOL classes or finding people in their places of community or meeting points or um, those engagements are really critical to our work. Um, you can't do that under lockdown. You cannot turn mm. up to those spaces because those, those groups are not meeting in those ways any longer. So at the moment, what we've been really thinking about is how do we go back and have a dialogue, like re-knit the dialogue that we might have been having previously and how do we take that to the next stage? So what we're starting to do with a whole kind of outreach and volunteer team at Gentle Radical is a, is, um, is a project that we've sort of called Doorstep Revolution. And the idea is, okay, we can stand on people's doorsteps, right? We can, we can um, socially distance, kind of have socially distanced conversations. But what's really critical, particularly with digital exclusion, and it's all very well that we're on platforms like you know, Zoom, um, but a whole lot of people, as we know, are completely shut out from that. Um, mm. Shut out for affordability reasons, for access reasons, for um, a whole range of, of, of different reasons. So there is, I suppose we recognized how do we have those conversations? Um, and that also came out for me from recognizing what we were doing in the mutual aid group that um, I helped set up in Riverside. So it was all fine and it was highly kind of successful in many ways and we reached people mm. but what we weren't having was many conversations we were answering sort of some quite uh, essential needs mm. but the stuff around the dialogue the stuff around the conversations the stuff around actually isolation and deepening isolation was a huge need and we weren't necessarily finding ways to address that so this new project is really about um deep work with um, eight streets in Riverside. So the idea is to knock on the door of every single household on eight separate streets and conduct really in-depth kind of conversations about people's experiences, about the last six months, about what's changed, about um, what, what do they want to leave behind? I mean, maybe they don't want to commute to work, you know, two hours in the morning and in the evening. Um, a bunch of other things, maybe, um, maybe people have aspirations for what's shifting, what they're seeing in you. And then of course there's huge levels of loss. There's huge levels of um, deepening uh, difficulty and, and deepening um, challenge of simply surviving everyday life for people. So how do, we, how do we try and bring into conversation and into a kind of held conversation um, some of those experiences and then the idea is how do we then bring people into 
subsequent conversations with each other. So how can the community keep having a conversation with itself? Um, and the idea is that we do that in a very in-depth level within eight streets in the neighborhood. And then we have five um, households from every single street across the rest of the neighborhood. And we really build up a picture. And then we will, we want to really develop a, two things to come out of that. So one is a, a podcast, which will be our first kind of podcast that we've done as Gentle Radical, which really will be about the community being able to then take that project forward. So the idea is that it becomes the long-term means and space for the community to continue having that dialogue with itself, you know. Um, and then also to develop a, a kind of something in between, like a, new, a, a neighborhood newspaper slash cultural magazine slash multilingual point of contact. Um, again, the idea is that we absolutely involve all of these different people, people who might be interested in, in curating and in writing and developing the dialogues around that. So for us, it always goes back to how do we do the like literally the knocking on people's doors like that. Like, I don't think that's ever not going to be for us relevant. Um, and it's probably the most vital space in which we feel we're kind of um, doing the praxis of access work, you know, mm. not just the theorizing. Um, I think it's really interesting that really maps onto my own experiences of um, organising around mutual aid locally as well, in terms of oh, how, much the sh the, how much things shift away from often what people's motivating intention for why they get involved in that kind of project, mm -hmm. either from the perspective of somebody uh, who's currently requesting support or currently offering support. Mm -hmm. uh, it's both of those people often are motivated by a desire for more like local connection. But then in practice, that's just designed out by uh, people with, I would describe as like having bureaucratic tendencies um, and how much those, how much those like often really human drives are really designed out of the process in terms of how things are set up and how shocked people can be when you suggest things like maybe we should do some door knocking <laughs> to talk to people. Um, and people see that as like a really uh, controversial yeah. suggestion. I'd really agree with that. And I also would say that, and of course that, you know, there was a reason for all of that more uh, attention to detail, bureaucratic approach, because of course we're talking about safety, aren't we? And like, mm. we, we actually ended up, I mean, we had this extraordinary person who was really, um, 
works in systems basically she was able to set up this incredible system which meant that like every single aspect of the the, the safety precautions that we needed to take through to the gdpr through to the you know was amazing and i'm in awe of that person actually but what we ended up having on like our little messaging service is people phoning i had a few experiences like this answering calls they they didn't really need anything they didn't really need anything picked up, but you know what? They, they didn't wanted... need anything material. They did not need anything material, but, but they wanted to talk for 40 minutes, right? Yeah. So like, mm. how were we, were, were we organized to do that? And should, have we, should we have been, I believe we should have probably in hindsight been more organized to just provide um, access mm. to, to conversation, right? To, to, to people being around, to, to hear people. Um, and um, so I think, I think, conversation and dialogue is probably the bedrock of how I understand um, the work, how I understand organizing, how I understand cultural work. Um, but everything starts from enabling uh, that conversation to feel open to everyone. Um, yeah, and, uh, and something else you said about um, the mutual aid, um, Actually, I've forgotten. I was going to say something else, but it's gone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. good. Whatever you said, it was good. I agree. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the thing about conversation was fascinating during lockdown. I had the street phone for a little while for our mutual aid group and mm. similarly had quite a few, especially older people who were on their own calling, mm. yeah. basically for a chat. Um, yeah which was such a disconnect to the kinds of offers that were being made in the WhatsApp group, which was that mm. I can go and pick up food, I can go yeah. and pick up uh, pharmacy items, um, and very few requests of any kind, actually, on the street that I was on. Um, yeah. And yet there was this kind of unnamed request uh, that was coming through in the desire for conversation. And I felt it living alone, like the days when we would have socially distanced cups of tea in the street, mm. like made my week. Um, yeah, yeah, and yet that wasn't really a formal thing that was being served by the by the group, and it's sort of almost how do you get people to open up to those needs that maybe are a little bit more taboo or a bit shameful? Feels yeah. like especially stuff around loneliness and isolation. It's really hard to come out and be like, actually, you know what? I'm on my own, and yeah, that's hard to tell you. Totally, totally, and yeah, I really that really resonates actually and, and that sense of um i think i sort of i remember saying something like oh um like i think that's where i think for me that's so much where um i i don't know if it sounds really clunky but where kind of the the, the for want of a better term the cultural offer has to start with conversation like if we're not imposing um projects on people then then really we're always beginning with the conversation and I think um I had a really we had a really similar experience we had not that many requests mm. loads of volunteers trained up and people kind of hanging around kind of twiddling their thumbs and it's like what we really need to do was um was respond to some of that that loneliness and and find ways of as you say enabling people to understand that not only was that okay it was deeply legitimate both in terms mm. of the current circumstances and the way societal systems have been structured to to bring that about you know to, we've lost a sense of extended families and extended networks and 
if I think about so many people I know, friends of mine who are parents and like the levels of exhaustion and sleep deprivation, because actually essentially we're bringing up children in these incredibly limited ways. Um, mm. You know, the cliche of kind of village, a village raises a child is there for a reason. Like it's, it's like we are not raising children um, amongst us, amongst us as, as neighbors or communities or extended family groups. And so I think, we're in a highly dysfunctional place and then trying to respond um, from a place of functionality that's not, not really working. Um, so yeah, going deeper in terms of asking those questions. And funnily enough, I think this project for us is also comes out of that experience of some of the mutual aid stuff of like, oh yeah, actually we need to just, um, we need to talk, we need to talk to people and, and we'd like to talk, to, we'd like them to talk back, you know. Mm. And I think it also really speaks to that idea that you mentioned before of like things being hyperlocal, like as uh, as a facilitator supported another mutual aid group in London um, from a borough in South London, and they organise things at a borough level. Uh, mm. And some of the London boroughs are huge. And what that meant was they basically designed a system and approach which meant that they were uh, basically around the same kind of number of core people as a lot of the very very small mutual aid groups had but just designed to cover the whole borough rather than like the streets around their house uh, uh, yes. and, and it made a setup that just meant it was so I think people found it really overwhelming and they found it really valuable and they were really like seeing the impact of the work they were doing but then they basically got into a pattern as that like ossification happens where they ended up having to raise money to be able to sustain the work they were doing but then that was really hard to do because they were all really busy doing the work mm -hmm. and I think it's just it's just such a different pattern for things that operated for all the people I know who are involved in like street-based things where it's like I'm helping the people on my road or maybe my road and the road next to my road yeah. where you basically always have the opposite thing where you're like well like there's a limit to just how much support can be needed in this space like and in this setup and yeah. so the challenge is really like you're shifting from being like we're trying to almost it lends itself towards gatekeeping or at least having to resist that idea of gatekeeping to be like how do we limit the support we give because we can't sustain it yeah. to people that are yeah. like I'm, I'm going out to try and find people that need, it's like people probably need more help than they're saying. And so you're going out and trying to create those situations and conversations where you can build enough relationships so that people can state the requirements they actually have, but they don't really feel able for whatever way to just like act on themselves without mm. some kind of structure of support. That's so interesting, all of that. And it's, it, it's, so, it's, it's so complex. And I think, I mean, for me, what I think mutual aid, um, this moment of mutual aid we had, one taught us how like we are not involved currently in mutual aid, right? Like, but we, we sort of scratched the surface of it, understood, I think how it, you know, we haven't got to the place where, essentially I think we were, um, it, it was a little bit, whether it was hierarchical or whether it, the, the mutual bit of it wasn't necessarily functional. A group of people, self-elected themselves, trained up out of a deep sense of care and, 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 and compassion, but they were essentially helping others or enabling others. And so I think there's a whole bit of the equation that we've, we've, we've yet to explore and go much deeply, go, go, go much further with. And I think that's a good thing. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I think, yeah, okay, COVID, beyond COVID, um, what did that opening, what did that huge um, response from, from people kind of, how many mutual aid groups, 
400 plus all over the UK. Like there's, there's huge potentiality in that. Um, so yeah, and I think, I think that goes back to all of these ideas of slowness. Um, and, you know, again, moving at the pace of trust, like how do we move so slowly that we understand the, the depths of what including people means? Um, not because of what they're going to gain from us, but because of what we might understand we might need to do differently because of their voice, because their voice is in the mix and the thing changes because of them. And that is a hugely time-based process. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to a bit more depth from a mutual aid front. <laughs> mm. uh, though I just uh, said to Kat, I'm going to restrain myself from asking any more questions so we can wrap up. <laughs> I do actually have, I have, but this is, I have a very specific uh, question, which is a closed one rather than an open one, because you, you, you refer to that phrase of uh, moving at the speed of trust. And it's a thing which I hear about it around a lot. Uh, I had a very basic question for you, which is, do you know where that quote actually comes from? In my head, I associate it with um, the like disability justice um, organizer, Leia Lakshmi Piazna Samarasinha from oh, yeah. the US. Yeah. But I don't, do you actually know where that phrase comes from? Because I don't, and I'm always wondering. Well, I, again, I can't remember, this is the only book I've referenced in this entire chat. Um, it is, I saw an emergent strategy. Cat, mm. is it? Is that where I'm seeing that's you? Where I've, that's where I've seen it, but I don't know where Adrian Marie Brown might have got it from before. Yeah, I think that I think they're mates. <laughs> yeah, and probably I mean as a as a the essence of that principle, you know, people will have worked with, you know, you know, and she, and she references so many of her own, mm. you know, mentors, doesn't she? But yeah, and I feel like um, I've I've had to learn that, you know, I've had to learn it. it did not like I've really had to learn it, and um, and I think there's this huge contradiction in our spaces. Um, one we are all deeply invested in justice and it can't come soon enough. It can't come soon enough for all the obvious reasons. And, um, and it pains us that it's not coming soon enough. So we're trying to work. Uh, I think I've been in this space trying to work and push myself and go, right, if we just get that resource, get that bit of funding, we'll be able to do this work so much more responsibly, so much more deeply and um, inclusively and equitably and, and there's no end to that. You know, I think I realized there's just no end. Um, and, and actually then ill health can follow and burnout and exhaustion. Um, mm. And actually what's really interesting in, in, in gentle radicals kind of now nearly four year history is the point at which actually that burnout and ill health really kind of hit towards the end of last year. The mm. point at which I finally realized this has to go at the pace of the the health of all of us, you know, um, the, the capacity of all of us, you know, um, that is where actually things really started opening out. Um, and I think that, that for me is very, very profound that when we really honor ourselves, when we honor ourselves, not as kind of, um, sac you know, entities to sacrifice at the altar of, of change and radical justice and, and necessary, you know, um, systems transformation like we have to honor the self and if the self is in any way um, if you like I don't know some, something that is as not not as important as the whole not as important as the communities we're working in not as important as x or y um, like I literally think the spaces in which we are gifted 
the means to do our work. The, the cosmos, the universe hears that and says, okay, we're not quite ready here. Like only when you are, um, only when you are moving through this space in ways that kind of honor the depth of your, who you are um, and the importance of who you are, um, do, do we seem to, to be supported by the spaces around us? Um, and that's been, I think that's praxis as well. Like my, my mind and my spirit understands that, but to, to really have started to live that within the organization and within myself has taken a while. And, and we're now in a space where we've probably for the first time had more um, stable resource. Um, and I think it's because we're learning how to move slower and um, in a way that is truly gonna be lasting. Um, but respects the self. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's, for me, something that I find so powerful about the work of Gentle Radical is the way that it sort of notices our own ways of being and needing to be, the ways our groups are, the ways we work, mm. and that connection to the system and mm. how systems of capitalism want us to burn out. That's what they're designed to make us do. Yeah. Um, and I guess uh, just to throw in the Audrey Lord quote, feels like, when she's saying caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare, mm. is because it's connecting to that resistance to what the system is asking us to do. Yeah. And that's just, that feels like that's what you're living, and that's, it's hard because the system doesn't want us to, but to actually really encourage ourselves to go at that pace of slowness and trust is, yeah. is really radical. I think, I think so, and... I really feel like um, I'm constantly no like I have to constantly notice it in myself, you know, and like um, what was happening the other day? Um, I think I had a meeting in the morning on Zoom, and I remember thinking, Rabab, you really need to go out for a walk before your next meeting, and. I'm not doing my walks very well because the work always seems to be more urgent and there's some emails I could write. Like the, 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 it took a kind of act of will to go out and do the walk. And mm. um, I actually think, you know, when we do that, we are resisting capitalism. We are resisting so many other systems which basically say um, constantly, um, you know, you're, you as a site of constant productivity is the thing that you need to raise up. Not you as a site of like um, no productivity, but but um, centering yourself and your needs at this moment, which is of course the most deeply productive thing you can do. So yeah, I think it's uh, there's an amazing. I couldn't believe I found this, but anyway, it's around. I'm sure there are other documents like this. There's a really great report written by the Movement Strategy Center. I think um, can't remember in where they're based in the U.S. It might be Detroit, and they. They wrote this really stunning report called Coming Out of the Spiritual Closet. Um, and it was one of the first documents where I really, really felt like people were writing about how in our movement building and in our organizing, um, we have to understand that kind of with all of the strategies that we have access to and we perfect and we use in different ways, um, if, if we don't, if we, if we don't have, <laughs> I love it. If we don't have um, spiritual strategy, spiritual work, um, spiritual resources, like the work on self, the inner work on self, 
Um, all of our organizing will kind of ultimately fall into some of the same traps and the same pitfalls because of course all of those spaces are subject to power dynamics we each of us are subject to our own histories of trauma and challenge and resistance and so like it, it's really beautiful now to see so much material out there which is starting to say um we have to center this slowness and we have to center this depth of practice in ourselves so yeah yeah getting there slowly absolutely I mean I feel like I could carry on talking about these things all afternoon and maybe longer um but I think we're gonna need to start drawing this to a close and maybe yeah. another time invite you back to talk about spiritual ecologies and the role of spirit and spirituality in in our activism um but for now um it would be really wonderful if there's anything you could share for listeners who may have been inspired by what they've heard you talking about this afternoon if there are ways that people can find out more or get involved in the work of gentle radical yeah it's been really so nice chatting to you both and i think the obvious ways are probably just like our website um gentleradical.org um we also are on all the usual places like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I suppose, yeah, there's a bunch of things that, that we have different projects which are operating um, in, in different ways across different spaces. And, and we really encourage anyone, particularly obviously people who are local, um, to just get in touch and, and let us know how they'd like to get involved. And we'd, we're always open to that conversation. Amazing, great, that's lush to hear. Um, okay, so I think we're going to draw to a close and just say again, thank you so much. It's been really lovely talking with you. Likewise, both. Really it's great to speak to you both. Thanks once again to Rabab for joining us on this episode. You can find out more about Gentle Radical at their website and on socials. They are gentle underscore HQ at Twitter and Gentle Radical on Instagram. This week we had music from Kareem Samara and his song Light for SH. You can find him on SoundCloud. And as ever, thanks to Klaus for letting us use his song Neff for this backing track. And you can find out more about Resist and Renew at resistrenew.com and on all the socials. And on our website, there's a page for donations if you want to support the production of this podcast.